Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today we're going to talk with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist about the final practice of Howard, on Howard Jones Field. Crazy uh, for this 2017 season. We're going to talk a little bit about early signing period, which has been going on this morning, and answer your questions about the team as the Trojans prepare for the Cotton Bowl, taking on Ohio State. As you can hear, my I'm a little bit under the weather, so I apologize for that. But we'll try to get through this and get to all your questions and do all we can to uh, answer them to the best of our ability. Get let you guys know what's going on with USC, not only just signing day stuff, but of course uh, the ball practices. So let's bring in Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How you doing, man? Doing good uh, here in the kind of the middle of the day on early signing day, uh, getting ready to head into. Head into USC and uh, and see how this all plays out. It's a, a whole new uh, kind of a whole new world, new scenario, uh, new practice uh, schedules and time on and time off and and all of that. This is kind of it's kind of an in between week. Uh, last week they put in the whole game plan for uh, the Cotton Bowl in Ohio State. Next week they'll be in Dallas and they'll you know really go into a game week situation. This week's kind of hanging there in the middle. Where you, you know, they practice Monday and Tuesday, uh, going to let them off for some pre-Christmas, uh, you know, heading home, flying to Dallas. And then, uh, so this week, and then you got uh, early signing day right in the middle of it. So this is kind of a different sort of week that we haven't exactly seen before. Yeah, this is, everything's kind of new this week. And no one really knew exactly what to expect with the early signing period. And, and you know, there'll probably be some adjustments afterwards, but. Um, you're seeing flips, you're seeing decommitments. It's just kind of accelerated uh, the process. And, uh, we, uh, you know, we don't know. We don't know what it's going to mean for the February signing day. We don't know what it's going to mean for all the programs. I mean, there could be – I think there will be guys that are, like, um, flipping or, you know, guys that are, like, three-star dudes that would have been, like, uh, a second or a B choice or something for a major program – that ends up signing with like a San Jose State or something, and now they're off the table. And so, if you're one of those three star guys that you know didn't uh, didn't sign, you might be a lot more popular come February because there's fewer of you to go around. And so, if USC and UCLA both need like a linebacker, and it's some some guy that's a you know some three star that was you know looking at um, Boise State or something, now you might be a hot commodity because there's just not a lot of uh, be options out there if you miss on someone that's like a big time name. Well, I think what we're finding is uh, it's doing two things. It's uh, uh, it's speeding things up in one way. So you know there may be you know some who say I better sign now, and then I think for some kids it's slowing things down, and they're saying you know I'm really going to wait till February now. So. I think you're getting a little bit of both. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, you know, it, it, which is why it, it, it's sort of, 
discombobulating. You know, you're you're speeding it up at, at the one end and slowing it down at the other end, yeah. and it's all happening at the same time in the middle of a bowl practice week. So uh, I don't think anybody knows how to play it exactly. It's just like, well, let's see. And, and Clay, unlike some coaches, Clay's more of a, the glasses half full guy rather than, you know, the glasses uh, – <laughs> It's like, you know, like a Nick Saban who would just come right out and say, yeah. this is horrible. <laughs> right. We don't like this. I don't have any control of anything that's going on. And uh, uh, he's not, that's just not, uh, that's not what Clay's going to do. So Clay's basically saying, we're going to just try to, try to do it the best we can and uh, see what we can do. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. So Dan will be. Uh, I'm not well enough to go to campus right now, but Dan will be down at campus today, Wednesday at 3 p.m. There'll be uh, a press conference with Clay Helton. So he'll give you all the latest stuff, what's going on uh, from there. And I believe uh, Shotgun and Keeley are going to plan on doing some sort of uh, Facebook Live from there, too. So if you get to if you get to listen to this before then, stay tuned for that. Before we jump in and talk about the team, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Um, they've actually been helping me out this week uh, with uh, I, I'm making green tea and I looked at oh this is from Trader Joe's and they're like my my wife is like put honey in it and I'm like okay we have this honey from Trader Joe's so we're using these little Trader Joe's things and I got some chicken soup from Trader Joe's so um, they've been great to us uh, over the past few months and uh, we we really appreciate them being a, a part of us and part of this podcast it's their 50th anniversary this year which is crazy and we had a brand new one the one i go to is in hermosa beach it's just opened and of course usc has a really cool one at the uh at university village um awesome location so i know a lot of people talk to me about stopping in there and picking up stuff for tailgating and everything so i think that worked out uh really well but it's great for the students i mean not a lot of you don't have a lot of college campuses you have a trader joe's there so um pretty cool stuff but thanks to trader joe's uh you know, great, good stuff. They would help me out this week uh, with my f- little flu thing or whatever. But uh, we love Trader Joe's. I know you're a big Tr- Trader Joe's fan too, Dan. I stopped in yesterday, actually, uh, at the one at USC, and uh, uh, they were really helpful. They did uh, find me my holiday uh, corn pudding. Okay. So uh, I was was very pleased about that. They couldn't have been more more helpful, and uh, and and. Everybody remembered uh, that we had done the show there and uh, all that. So that was a it was a fun fun little stop uh, off after uh, after morning practice. That was one of the good things about having morning practice yesterday. Had some time to stop uh, stop in at Trader Joe's. So uh, thank you very much, Trader Joe's. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, let's. So I want to talk about. Uh, I didn't. I made it to the Monday practice. I didn't make it to Tuesday morning's practice, but that was the last. Uh, I was going to say Trader Joe's practice. I have sick brain, so I apologize if I say some stupid stuff. That's the last you know, USC practice on their home turf at, at Howard Jones Field. So the last time there were some jersey switches and stuff going on. So maybe kind of give people an update of of you know kind of what went on. And it's the last time we're going to see USC practice uh, here on campus uh, for this season. It was weird. It just doesn't. And maybe some of it's the weather and some of it's the days of the week and all of that kind of thing. It just didn't seem like the last day. Uh, it, 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 it's like it just snuck up on us uh, so quickly. And, you know, maybe part of that was the 12 straight, you know, games and no time off. And you just got into this 
this habit, and then we've had some time off uh, before the championship game and before now the Cotton Bowl. And uh, it just didn't seem like yesterday was, was the last day. One of the things, because it was a morning practice, that they were getting the guys on the road that were you know out of town or you know, getting a little more time. Uh, like they didn't wear their high school jerseys, which had been kind of a tradition. I didn't much like the tradition, to be honest with you. But uh, but nobody was in their high school jerseys. Uh, they did do some uh, the defensive backs and the wide receivers switched numbers up, which uh, is always difficult in those positions because they kind of are the the farthest away much of the time, and a lot of the guys are uh, very similar, you know, size and shape and all that, and so you were trying to say, now, who was that that just caught that pass, or who caught that punt, or who's, who, who did he switch with, and all that kind of thing. So, uh, so that got it into sort of, okay, this is a little bit of the tradition of the last day, and they did really get into it with the, the you know, the tunnel uh, ushering out the seniors with the uh, running the gauntlet and all that, and that was, uh, and there just aren't that many seniors. They're actually, I think, almost more uh, walk-ons and scout team guys and that that are uh, that are graduating than uh, actual graduates. And then the other part of that is you've got ten underclassmen who are considering uh, leaving for the NFL, and they're not a part of that exactly. So uh, uh, it's just it, it just you know it was just a kind of a different last day practice on uh, on Howard Jones. Just it just had a different feel to it. Not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It just it was different. What about the uh, the injuries? I know so Jack Jones wasn't practicing the day I was there on Monday. Um, anyone and you know Valus Jones, who's not you know that I don't think that's a big impact. But injury wise, it seems like the team's in a pretty good shape heading into uh, yeah. That's, you know, the bowl I, game. I think that's one of the things you really notice is and, and one of the issues is I think they really. Uh, know the game plan for Ohio State, and they, and this is these are you know if you look at the first offense or first defense, they've been together now for most of the second half of the season, and there haven't been the you know the shifting in and out. So um, you know you have a a Jack Jones, uh, and he was uh, not in pads, but he was he was active. Let's say he was moving around, and um, one would think he will be uh, he'll be fine by, uh, you know, another, you know, 10 days. Uh, but um, um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that really looks like an issue. And, and we're, we're seeing Porter Gustin, like, actually running from, you know, one, one part of the practice from, from Brian Kennedy to Howard Jones and back. And he's certainly, you know, up close and involved with uh, what the defense is doing. So, you wouldn't think he's been ruled out yet, uh, and and I would say this: he's probably legitimately closer to being able to come back than he was the previous two times he did actually come back. So he's probably in better shape now. My guess would be, if you said you thought he was able to come back the previous two times, you'd be really gun shy about saying he's ready to come back now. Uh, I, I would think. Um, it would be a difficult process clearing the physical this time. I mean, you just can't imagine you'd bring, you know, you'd allow a kid to come back the third time in the season and have that one go go wrong as well. So, so I don't know, you know, how I feel 
about Porter, but uh, but other, otherwise, you get the sense that that this team is they know who who's going to be doing what and where, and you know they they feel pretty good about that uh, at this point in time, and they and this is one of the things I think they've got the game plan to the point where it's mostly review yesterday uh, and Monday, and I think you can get maybe halfway through practice on review, and then. Uh, there's just not a lot more you can do uh, this week. I think they'll they'll really pick it up uh, when they get to Dallas. But um, this is a challenging week, I think. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons with, when Pete was here, they basically had practices like this for the, uh, the scout team and the walk-ons and all the guys that don't get to do as much during the year would go out and scrimmage. And, you know, it would be a lot about them and the other, you know, the kids that do play kind of be rooting them on and that kind of thing. Well, uh, this this staff has chosen not to do that. So it's uh, a little bit more of a challenge, uh, I think, getting through uh, practice this week. Yeah, and then uh, you know, they get some time off uh, pre-Christmas break, I guess, and then heading down to Dallas, and uh, Dan will be down there. Uh, you're getting there they're going to practice on Christmas Day, right, later to practice then? Right, yeah. And uh, on the, the first day, actually uh, – uh, they're going to practice. They get there Friday. Then they're going to practice uh, on Christmas Eve. And I was going to go for that. And then they decided USC would close their Christmas Eve practice. So I said, okay, I'm not going for that. So I, I, I mentioned that to Clay yesterday. And he said, you aren't missing anything. It's going to be like a Monday walkthrough. So it's, it's really not going to be a practice. So I said, okay, so, so we'll get to see them, uh, you know, the first time they have uh, – and they're just doing what the bowls uh, allow you to do, which is just 15 minutes, because so many of these teams don't allow you even 15 minutes open. So the compromise in, in all the bowl games, uh, all the big January bowl games or the January 6th games, is that they have the 15 minutes at the start of practice open. So you can see who's there, who looks like they're healthy, that kind of thing. I mean, you're not going to get to see the whole practice, but uh, – but we will be there starting uh, Sunday. All right. Well, let's uh, jump into some of these questions. We got one from Tarek. Uh, of the freshmen who have not played or have played seldomly, who could you see making an impact uh, for 2018? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think you start off with the injured kid. You know, I think, I think you start off with um, – uh, uh, Greg Johnson and, uh, and Isaiah Palomalo. I mean, I just think you look at those two guys, and, and they're big and they're athletic. And they're just getting back a little bit right now, but I think they're they're impacting probably this recruiting class a little bit, just because I think they think they're going to be so uh, you know so strong, so deep at safety, because you're you're looking at those two uh, at those two, and, and then I'll say. Uh, uh, Two more injured guys that are, you know, that I consider freshmen, uh, Taylor Katoa and uh, uh, and Hunter Eccles. So, you know, at practice now we see those guys out there, and, and I don't know. We could call Marlon to a Pulitu, uh who's going to get a, a looks like a, a medical red shirt for this year, and he's now starting to to filter his way uh, back out onto the practice field and after after his back surgery. So that's five freshmen who aren't going to be exactly freshmen next year, but uh, 
I think he has, has some real, uh, real potential. And depending on what happens with, with Sam, um, Jack Sears you know, has to be, uh, you know, a major factor. Uh, you know, if Sam leaves, they've got, at this point, uh, just two scholarship quarterbacks. So, uh, so, so that's a, that's a big factor. Uh, and then after that, uh, I think we'll let them play into, into, into a position of, of, of contributing. But, uh, but I think, you know, they've got a nice head start with, uh, if you, you know, you take those five, six guys who will still be able to be classified as freshmen next year. Uh, that's a big boost to this recruiting class. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it definitely could be. Um, it's, uh, how those freshmen, you know, how they're projected. I think it impacts how this recruiting class is going to be the early signing period. It's all kind of, and then of course when players leave, so it's all kind of wrapped in and, uh, it's, it's a juggling act that Clay Helton and the staff have to continue to play with. Um, Tark also wants to know, do you see any of the USC players, uh, being coaches in their future? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who would Cameron be. Cameron Smith. Yeah, I could see Cameron Smith. Is a coach right now. Chris he Hawkins. Like I could it. see Chris Hawkins. I could, Chris could. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they have, uh, there are some, uh, you know, clear you know, leader types, and uh, I mean, that, you, those would be the the first two you would think about. I don't think there's any question that that those two just jump off jump off the page uh, as far as uh, coaches. I guess. Cohen Lobendon, his family, he's got a history, you know, a family uh, kind of coaching tree. Uh, and I, I wouldn't, he wouldn't be a shocker. Nico Fowler. Yeah. I mean, these are guys I think they can do a lot of different things with their lives. But if they chose to, I think they, they absolutely could be. Uh, uh, Steven Mitchell, I think, uh, you know, could go that direction. But, you know, he's already got his, his masters, I guess. And, um, uh, and, so I'm not sure if he'll, you know, choose to go, you know, would choose to go into coaching, but um, uh, but there are some candidates. I don't think, you know, I don't think there's any question about that. Mitchell's looked really good in practice lately. They're really sharp. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, he just uh, he's had the kind of year you couldn't have ever imagined that he was going to have after the two major knee surgeries and and just. You know, it was uh, that he's rounded in the shape the way he has, and uh, it just keeps getting better. Now, uh, the nice thing about, it, I guess, if you've had the injuries, is uh, you don't have as much wear and tear in your body. And he looks really fresh. He just looks like, uh, you know, you wouldn't be surprised at whatever he does right now because he just uh, he's strong and uh, and and fresh legged, and uh, and just you know, and he's had plenty of experience. It just hadn't. Uh, other than the knee, you know, surgeries, he hasn't had that much, uh, you know, banging around. So uh, he's been, he may have been as, as, as pleasant a surprise as anything that's happened with this team this year. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to Otis. He said, hey, Ryan uh, and Dan, what is the payout significance of bowl games? And how much did USC miss out on not playing uh, on the December 29th Fiesta Bowl, well, I think he's reversed that. Uh, Cotton Bowl versus the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, the Cotton Bowl is actually December 29th, and the Fiesta is December 30th. 
Uh, how much did they miss out on not making the playoffs, Otis? I don't know if you have. Yeah, I don't that, think but. there's any difference significant between a Cotton and a Fiesta Bowl, uh, and it's not a, a USC difference that much because um, uh, it's it's for the conference. I mean, and I think it's something around another seven seven million dollars. Boy, that's just off the top of my head. Uh, if you make the playoffs, and I don't know why that number is there, it's it's a number like that. Uh, but then basically you're sharing that with uh, you know Oregon State missed out on playoff money because USC didn't get there. Uh, you could say uh, because they share it. Uh, you know the money doesn't just go to USC. Now uh, I don't know if they give you a little more money for your band and you know who who actually gets hurt is if you go to the playoffs. All the players' parents get paid, get airfare and hotels, so that you can pay for all the players' parents to go to the uh, the playoff, the two playoff games, or the three actually, uh, the championship game, uh, and that does not apply to the uh, to the bowl games. Now, that doesn't seem all that completely fair, but it's obvious you couldn't do that, you know, at the Cherubundi, you know, Boca Raton Bowl last night. Uh, but, uh, uh, but that's one place that you do miss out, uh, uh, parents have to get there on their own to the bowl game. Uh, so, but, but it's, it's enough money that it, it, it probably matters a little bit. Uh, but the way you split it up in conferences, it doesn't matter so much unless you're Notre Dame, it doesn't matter, uh, so much. So Notre Dame, for example, now they cost themselves a lot of money by not making the playoffs because they just keep it all and, uh, you know, ending up where they did. And I don't know what the payoff payoff is uh, for work for Notre Dame's bowl, but it's a whole lot less than making the playoffs. Yeah. That's uh pretty serious. I, people worry about like the bowl payouts and stuff a lot of times, but yeah, the cotton versus Fiesta, there's not, that wasn't, that wasn't performance based. That was just a selection. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't want people. People seem to worry about that a whole lot. The, but like Dan said, the only significant thing would have been making the playoffs. It's more the the school would bring in more, and it, it would be better for the the conference. You know, so kind of kind of a weird thing. Um, hey, before we jump into the rest of the questions, I want to talk to everybody about SeatGeek because buying tickets to a sporting event can be very complicated and confusing. There is a better way to buy using. SeatGeek. Uh, so I have the app on my phone. I actually did some uh, some holiday shopping on that. So if you have something that you know, you're not really sure of a, a family member or, so, or a friend or something that you don't know what to get them, you can get them tickets. And you can do that on SeatGeek. Uh, if you download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code USC, that's promo code USC, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So if you want to find some kind of last minute deal, you want to plan a night out, if you a perfect gift like we talked about before, um, SeatGeek is going to help you get the best seats at the best prices, and the whole thing is fully guaranteed. So, And I know you like seeing the Trojans in person. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast otherwise. SeatGeek can help you get closer to the action, and it's a great value. So check it out. Um, it'll save you time. It'll save you money. It searches multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And you're going to get the most bang for your buck because it'll grade every ticket based on the value uh, to help you maintain and identify the best seats that'll fit whatever your budget is. And you can use it like for, for your own purposes, like I said, or uh, as a gift. So like I said, uh, download SeatGeek, the app, 
on your phone. Enter promo code USC. That's promo code USC, and you will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So you actually get a discount on your uh, on your gift. So I don't know if you need to do any last-minute shopping, Dan, but you can use SeatGeek if you'd like. That's a good idea. You're right. I do. I just like to go on there and browse to see uh, what what tickets would cost at, at various games and, and what kind of tickets are available. It's just kind of an interesting, uh, uh, you know, uh, browsing situation to see who's got what and if you wanted to go, what what would it cost and all that. And uh, I would advise people uh, just do that and uh, enjoy kind of. Uh, you know, if I wanted to go to this game, uh, could I? And, 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 and you know, are the tickets available? And uh, where would I have to sit? And all that kind of thing. I think you'll you'll find it interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, you might not want to go to a game, or like there's an NFL game or something. I've done that too. For like, I want to kind of go to this Rams Eagles game. I ended up going, but I was thinking about doing that. So, you, but I, yeah, you seek geek to kind of check to see what I could get. Um, so cool stuff there. All right, well, let's roll on with the, we still got a few more questions. Paul in Las Vegas, um, his questions about guys who can transfer in and play immediately. So he says the quarterback mystery has me wondering if that's the route we're going since there's not a lot of qualified homeschoolers left. Uh, so any college player who has graduated is eligible to transfer and play, uh, with however much eligibility is left on his status question. Technically a player, could have two years to play if he redshirted and graduated in three. Paul in Vegas. And I, real quick, yeah, so the, the the name that was out there for the transfer is Shea Patterson. So that was the guy that USC recruited heavily out of high school with Steve Sarkeesian, but then they also were recruiting KJ Costello, and they kind of sort of tried to get both of them and didn't get either of them. KJ Costello ends up at Stanford. You got to see him play, especially more towards the end of the year. Shea Patterson, I thought, did a really good job the last two years, uh, kind of thrown into action last year as a true freshman at Ole Miss. They have the, the the heavy sanctions handed down, so he's now transferred to Michigan. So I don't think there's a transfer really on the the radar, but the, the transfer rumor or the thought that a transfer could come in, that was all Shea Patterson, and he ended up going there. But, but yeah, we saw, like, you know, Max Brown transferred out. He had... Um, one year left to play, but if you if you graduate in three years and transfer, and you still have two years of eligibility, you could play uh, two years. USC USC got like a tight end or something, right, Dan? That that did that. The guy from Oklahoma. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Why am I blanking? Here from Oklahoma. Um, why do I? Uh, the starting tight end last year, whose name totally escapes me it's now. Mine but, too. Uh, uh, I, that uh, USC isn't. Uh, uh, he's not here this year, but he he graduated in three years, and uh, uh, you know it was kind of a solid, uh, you know, blocker and and goal line, uh, you know, pass receiver, what have you, and that's the kind of, you know, you can. And he was a Southern California kid, so uh, uh, I'm going to come up with his name. It would kill Taylor me. Taylor uh, McNamara. Oh yeah, Taylor. Yeah. Uh, Tyler. Oh. I'm trying to think. No, I think no, it's, I'm just was it Taylor? completely. Uh, it's just how you how you get caught up in one year and you don't you don't think about the uh, about last year. But uh, a really good kid. You can see why he graduated in three years at Oklahoma and didn't see the future of being a tight end at, at Oklahoma where they don't necessarily throw the ball to tight end. Uh, so um, uh, 
And, and is there a guy out there like that? I, I think right now you might not even know that there's a guy available. Uh, the guy, you know, may not have even decided yet that uh, might be playing in a bowl game, might be keeping it quiet. Maybe there is that guy out there. Uh, and, and they're going to wait and see what Sam does. I don't think there's any question. Uh, but when Sam makes his decision, if he's coming back, you would think that would be no uh, no place for a, uh, you know for somebody to transfer in. If he's not, uh, it might be attractive to somebody. Uh, you know, to think that they could they certainly have to get here. You would think in the spring, and uh, and compete. And it still might not be that attractive to to somebody to think, well, will I beat out you know both Matt Fink and, and Jack Sears and uh, uh, and as Max Brown said, it's not obvious what's going to happen, you know, at your new school. So, uh, but I, I think I don't think it's impossible that that scenario exists. It's just I don't think we know uh, what that scenario is. And I do think there's maybe a high school mystery uh, quarterback out there that, because of certain circumstances, could be. Uh, you know, waiting in the wings uh, to see how this all plays out. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a lot of factors here at play. So, but I I don't think the the main transfer was Shea Patterson, and that's not uh, happening. But this is. Kind of, I think he went. I think he made the right call. Yeah, they need a quarterback. Michigan badly. They've kind of whiffed the last you know few years, uh, and it's uh, something that that Harbaugh's getting a lot of criticism for. It's like for this we pay. A coach ten million dollars, and we pay four assistants well over a million, and we can't get a quarterback. Let's maybe uh, go get a quarterback, you know, <laughs> instead of paying all the coaches all this money. So yeah, they're feeling a little heat. I think they needed to get get Jay Patterson, and I think it was a good move for him. This is an interesting one from Earl in West LA, Dan, um, and maybe it's something you can actually ask. Clay Helton about uh, at the press conference today, but he said, how will the 2018 scholarships offered to Chase McGrath and Reed Buttervich be counted and how many scholarships will remain for next year? Uh, without the specific, you know, how many are remaining, all that stuff. Like, you, you, I, we don't need to get into all that, but the giving those two guys a scholarship, is that taking two away from this class that they could have is, does it mean that the guys that are already on scholarship, the kickers are going to transfer out of the program? Like, what do you kind of think is going on there? Yeah, I think, I don't think there's any question. These are two scholarships that are not available for this, this class. I mean, they're, they're gone now. These are, cause those are two initial grants. And, uh, um, let's see. Well, you know what? I guess the more, let me think about this. Reed is a player who's been in the program for you know, he's a senior, uh, L, I mean, four-year guy. So I think he could get a scholarship, and maybe not be counted against the initial class. If I'm trying to read that right, it wasn't it? It was two years. If if a player, if you scholarship the player within two years of his his being in the program, uh, he counted as an initial grant. Bukovic may not count as yeah, an initial grant. That's a good point. I think that I think that's the way that goes. Uh, McGrath would have to count as an initial grant uh, coming right out of high school at Modern Day last year. So, so I think it might be one and one. Uh, I think one one will count against the class. One will not. And uh, and Reed will probably replace. 
and, and we don't know exactly of the walk-ons who have been scholarship. I would guess uh, Matt Lopes, this is his last year for sure. So he's a walk-on whose scholarship uh, uh, Reed Buterich could could uh, could take, and um, and and that wouldn't change the uh, the, the the numbers uh, for this coming in, this class coming in. But McGrath has to be counted in this uh, class coming in. But that's a good question. We'll ask if Clay can get get really specific on on those numbers, or as much as he can, he can. And some of it you can't possibly know how it's necessarily going to play out in terms. Because I mean, the hard part is you're trying to, and this may impact the early signing day, late signing day. In January, on January 15th, you will know who of the 10 USC. Uh, players with junior eligibility are coming back and who, who are going. And so that is going to impact maybe how you finish out your class uh, in terms of who leaves and who stays. Uh, so there's a lot of moving pieces yeah. uh, as far as this puzzle is concerned, <laughs> more so than, than we've seen in the, in the past. And, you know, with 10 players who – you know, Clay will say all ten have a legitimate uh, uh, reason to consider going. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with that, but uh, but the ten are going to be in the process. Uh, you really got to have some contingency plans. Now, the first contingency plan the USC has is those six players who have, who are going to be uh, coming off of redshirt years who, who were injured. I mean, that's a that's a big part of of next year's. Uh, you know, class, however you want to describe it. And they're going to be farther along than any, any recruiting class. So uh, USC, that's, a, that's like having, you know, money in the bank there with those guys. But, uh, but we really have to see what the 10, who comes back and, and what, position, what, what positions they play, who leaves, what positions they, you know, you got to fill in. Uh, and, you know, there's, not, there's no way we can know that until – you know, January 15th rolls around. Yeah, we just won't know. Um, so many, uh, so many b- balls up in the air, lots of juggling going on. And, uh, it's, it's harder and harder on these coaches to, to do all this in this early signing period. Certainly can complicate things a little bit. So we'll see how that. It, it makes you wonder if it's not going to hurt three star kids. I mean, it just, do you take a, uh, you know, the leap on a three-star kid now, unless he's somebody you just are so sure about that he's been sort of passed over for whatever reason? But uh, but you would think it would be hard, knowing that there are so many uh, considerations and possibilities and and ways that this might go. Uh, that it might be hard to pull the trigger in the early uh, in the early signing period. I mean, just you know, who do you send out the letters of intent to uh, based on the fact that you don't know how it's going to play out in another, uh, you know, four weeks. Uh, it's not easy. No, it's not. You just don't know how it's going to play out. Um, all right, we got a couple more. One, Ian in Hawaii. He said, I wanted to get your view of USC's chances in the Cotton Bowl. Objectively speaking, Based on this season's performance, I think there's a 60% chance that the Ohio State University wins in a blowout a la Notre Dame. I think USC's uh, penchant for turnovers, 
penalties and poor play calling severely sink them. We can get away with that against Colorado or UCLA, but not for uh, not with the Buckeyes. Uh, conversely, I see a 40% chance of a close victory a la the Rose Bowl against Penn State. Darnold is a magic man and might be enough to pull out another cardiac arrest victory. The factors that affect my analysis, however, are injuries, referees, and players choosing not to play. Are we healthier now to the point that using prior games as case studies is a moot, a moot point? If we don't have uh, incompetent Pac-12 refs, will that help us? Are there any no- uh, notable players on either team who might not play a la Christian McCaffrey? Thanks so much, and thanks for your uh, analysis and down-to-earth observations. Ian in Hawaii. Well, okay. I do think uh, the previous games are a little bit moot. I, I do think this team looks a little different having the three weeks to get ready. And having coaches who I have a, they have a feel, I think, more for what they can do and what they should do. Well, you know, where they, well, will they do it? Will they be able to do it? I don't know. I mean, let's face it, uh, beating Stanford twice is tough. Uh, Stanford, I think Stanford was better than any team, say, Alabama played uh, this year. I, I really believe that. Or, or you could say, well, they weren't better than Auburn. Yeah, well, Auburn beat them. You know, so uh, I think you know, it should have been a wider margin at, at the Sanford game, no question about it. Dumb, uh, you know, dumb penalties and dumb plays, also some big toughness. And, uh, uh, you know, just things like letting the, the ball roll on punts or catching the punts and that. And have they, have they changed that? No, I don't think so. Uh, so they're gonna, you're still going to have to endure uh, what's going to happen when Ohio State punts to you. However, I do think uh, I think the defense is better than they than the statistics show. I, I I think they're closer to that team at the goal line against Stanford than they than they are uh, the team that's seventy uh, sixth or whatever in, in total defense. Uh, uh, so I think there's more of a chance that maybe Ohio State, if you you read any of their message boards, their fans just are taking USC for granted and, and it's hard I don't care how good a coach you are it's hard if that's all these kids here for three weeks uh, that man you're just going to line up blow them off the ball and just life is going to be good we're going to run the ball down their throat and throw the ball deep and da 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 uh, I don't think that's going to happen I don't think it's going to happen to the extent they think it's going to happen so I think USC has a chance to, to show up I mean it surprises me that Ohio State fans, and I don't know that fans have a lot of control, but they have some. They set the, 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 you know, the atmospherics for how Ohio State practices and gets ready for this game. And I'm thinking, if you're a fan base and your team hasn't beat the other team since 1973 in seven games, all of which were really important games, I'm not sure I'd feel all that overconfident, but Ohio State's Ohio State. You know, they, uh, they've got the second-best uh, roster in the country as far as recruiting, uh, and USC's got the third. So it's not like, you know, they're playing Northwestern or somebody who maybe could sneak up on them. Uh, you know, they shouldn't be surprised about, about USC, but, but I think USC will score the ball on Ohio State. 
I don't think there's any doubt. I think their offense is in a pretty good place right now. Uh, obviously, without the Pac-12 officials, you probably have a better chance uh, uh, if you're USC, considering you're the 127th team in the country out of 129 in penalties. Anybody would be better, you know. So, um, so, so I, I, I probably like that. Uh, if the USC defense shows up, I mean, and they've got enough talent. I mean, let's say, okay, it'd be nice to have, you know, Marlon, it'd be nice to have Port Augustine, but uh, there's enough talent. If uh, they didn't have any blown coverages, for example, against Stanford, they just let Stanford catch the ball, even when they were double-teaming them and in good position. You know, they've got to get better at that, the deep, uh, the deep coverage. Just has to, has to be able to play the ball better. Uh, and Ohio State does like to throw the ball deep because uh, you have to pay attention to Barrett and the two tailbacks. Uh, and so when they throw it, they tend to really throw it deep uh, so that they've got to stay in the game. Uh, but uh, but I, I think your 60% chance of Ohio State blowout, is, I think, is way, 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 way high. I think these teams are, are really close. Uh, and they're close in, in kind of how they played the season. I know people say, Ohio State's defense is way better. Well, USC's given up like uh, 26 points a game against much better offenses than Ohio State's played. And they've, you know, they're like in the top 15 defenses. And they've given up like 19.9 points. But they're playing a lot of really bad offenses. Uh, USC... I think Clay made the point the other day. He said, we play, you know, there are nine uh, Pac-12 teams in bowls. And he said, all nine of them are really good offenses and have good quarterbacks. And he said, they're going to make, make you look, uh, you know, a little worse. So I don't know that the margin, but, you know, in terms of defense is, is all that great uh, between these two teams. So, so I'm fairly optimistic that, that this will be a good, that USC will play a good game. I mean, I, I guess they could not show up the way they did at Notre Dame, I guess that's uh, the longest of long shot possibility. I mean, that's the, the most discouraging point of the entire year, that they didn't get it, that that Notre Dame game was a really big deal. And I know injuries and in <clears throat> Notre Dame having a bye and USC, you know, sticking it right in the middle of the schedule and all that kind of thing. I know all the excuses, but they weren't prepared. They, the coaches didn't do a good job preparing them. They didn't do a good job preparing themselves. They got themselves in a 21 nothing hole, and there was nothing they could do, and they kind of just bowed out and said, go ahead and stomp us, and let's get out of here. That was embarrassing. Ohio State's got one of those, too, and theirs was to, to Iowa, uh, a team not nearly as good as Notre Dame. So, you know, I don't know, you know, if you want to balance out uh, the most embarrassing loss uh, between these two. I mean, I, the more embarrassing loss, anyway, I'd probably give it to Ohio State. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, but I would not – I would say there's as much chance of USC blowing out Ohio State as Ohio State blowing out USC. Maybe more. And USC might have the ability to put up more points on Ohio State than Ohio State does on USC. We'll see, but but that's my take. I, I think uh, I think this is a game. I do agree with with all the pundits that this is a really good game to watch because it's it matters. It matters to Ohio State. I mean, it, they will. I'm sure Urban Meyer will point this out a few times that they haven't beaten again. As I said, they haven't beaten USC since 1973. I would think 
that would be a kind of a thing that Ohio State wouldn't really like to have hanging over their heads. Uh, so they're going to, you know, now the question is, do they have enough respect for USC or do they think USC is the team that showed up in South Bend? If they do, maybe it, it'll be difficult for them to get to where they need to get to, to be able to, you know, really uh, put one on USC. But uh, I don't think there's any question that USC understands what Ohio State uh, is capable of and what this game means. This is not the Notre Dame game. It's still mind-boggling that USC didn't understand that about Notre Dame, but uh, they understand it about uh, about uh, uh, Ohio State. I don't think this is not a Wisconsin game from the Holiday Bowl where USC – you know, didn't practice, didn't get ready for a physical team, didn't have that much respect for Wisconsin's talent, and played bad, still probably should have won the game. So we'll see. It's a, it's a Big Ten team, and, and, you know, the Big Ten hasn't been that impressive and has, you know, very often not been impressive against USC. We shall see. We're looking forward to that one for sure. We got one last one for you, Dan. Robin in Virginia. He said, if you do another podcast before the Cotton Bowl, well, we are, Robin, uh, could you please follow up with Dan on why Larry Scott would rather have parody than excellence? Uh, he'd rather handicap the best teams and have them all be just good than a couple that are great. USC runs the Pac-12. They make all the money from national championships and Rose Bowls. Then they have to split it evenly with the bottom feeders like Cal, Oregon State, and Colorado. USC's unhappy, so they leave. The conference just lost lost their most successful and powerful team. So what does Larry Scott do now, other than he gets his parody, Robin and Robin and Virginia? Well, I don't think he's ever considered, or anybody in the Pac-12 has ever considered that USC would do anything. USC doesn't even say boo about any of this. They haven't said boo. Uh, they haven't rocked the boat. I mean, they get scheduled that Washington State Friday night game, uh, you know, second time in two years where. You know, they uh, have to start the season off uh, as the Friday night team, the road team, after traveling the week before. They don't say boo. They should say boo. Uh, and they should scare them to death. But if you're Larry Scott, you can count. There's 12 teams in the Pac-12, and you'd like to have everybody gets a vote. And if you want to get your $4 million plus a year, 42 uh plus a, what, almost $2 million loan for his house that uh, uh, you'd like to be renewed, which it just was, uh, you you like to say to all the rest of them that, boy, I brought you all up, and, it, and as a bonus, I brought USC down, or something to that effect, not in those many words. But, uh, but I don't think it hurts, Larry, in the Pac-12 scheme of things that they don't have anybody – competing for a national championship. Now, he got religion the day of the Pac-12 championship and tried to make the case for USC. But if you're in the uh, uh, any of the other conferences, basically, I mean, I think the Big Ten was really hurt by the fact that they didn't get anybody in there. But if you're the SEC commissioner, I mean, look at how what a good job he did. They've got parity in the SEC. Nobody's that good. Uh, and a lot of them are pretty darn bad. And they still got two of the four playoff teams. So, you know, that's what that's one of their priorities is getting people. They, you know, they, they set up the BCS, the SEC did, former commissioner and football coach at Vanderbilt, Roy Kramer, and figured out how they could game the BCS. And then they've 
taken that right over to, I mean, what other conference cheers, you know, SEC, SEC? You know, they, they've got a whole different view about it, and they think it makes the rest of the schools in the SEC, even the ones, you know, the, the bad programs, they feel good about themselves if Alabama wins another national championship or Auburn does or whoever, Georgia this year, uh, where in the Pac-12, USC wins a national championship. Do you think any of those schools are going to be cheering, you know, Pac-12, Pac-12? No, they could care less. They'd rather USC go down in flames. Uh, and, and that's just, it's a different mindset out here. And Larry Scott picked up on that. He came in when USC was, uh, you know, getting hit with the sanctions. And he, he realized, this is my chance. Parity is possible now. It's no longer, first thing he ever said almost uh, at a, a Pac-12 media day was, you know, no more the uh, Pac-10 then, Pac-10 and, uh, you know, Pac-9 and or, uh, USC and the, the Nine Dwarfs or whatever that was. Uh, it was clear. He gave the message that I'm going to help everybody else. USC's on its own. And USC said, well, okay, that's fine. Just give us the weekender and we'll be happy. Just, you know, we don't care. We're USC. We just do what we do. And that's, uh, that's gone till this day. And why Ryan is so right when he says that USC has to start considering all their options, and there are a ton of them, unbelievable number of things that USC should be considering right now, and should make it pretty clear that they're considering all of these possibilities, some of which would not include the Pac-12. And, uh, uh, and, and let, let it be known that you may have to go on your own and, you know, you'll be closer to the Mountain West. I mean, and maybe USC even considers taking uh, UCLA with it and, and, and the two together. I mean, if USC and UCLA tried to strike out their own, strike their own Notre Dame kind of deal with one of the, one of the major networks, uh, the Pac-12 does become closer to the Mountain West then uh, and would, I think, almost be willing to do whatever it took uh, to keep that, to keep L.A. in the conference. And uh, that alone uh, should strike just unbelievable fear into the other ten. It's easy now for them to, you know, say, you guys aren't going to do anything, so what? But... Uh, that, and the whole idea of if you're if you're Larry Scott and somebody says what about parody, he should say, that's foolish. You can never have parody between USC and Oregon State. Never. Maybe in baseball. Maybe in you know women's basketball if USC doesn't get their act together. But uh, but that's not possible. You know you've got the three winningest NCA programs of all time, all with more than 100 national championships in USC, UCLA, and Stanford. And I thought it was interesting. People want to bash Bill Walton, but on the USC-Princeton game last night, he actually said, and consider this is coming from a UCLA guy, he said that if USC was allowed to count all their non-NCAA national championships, and he didn't even mention those early women's basketball championships when they were basically the women's program nationally or the uh, the football championships he said usc would be number one ahead of stanford and, and and ucla but uh to say that a conference that has those three programs in it can ever have any kind of real parity is a joke 
it can't. There's not parity, and there's not going to be parity. You can't change history, and you can't change the fact that two of them are in Los Angeles. I mean, there's just, you know, all those schools come to Los Angeles to recruit, you know, half their teams. So, uh, uh, so the whole parity thing is pretty silly, uh, and it's going to play out. And by the next TV contracts, there's not going to be parity. And uh, you're just kidding yourself if you think there is, but uh, but uh, no parity. Uh, and uh, yeah, he has to say that I guess right now to to keep the other you know schools kind of pacified. But uh, uh, parity is is an illusion, and it's it's not gonna it's not gonna be the way college football is, especially, and college athletic programs are gonna be in the future. All right, well, that's Dan Weber giving you all his thoughts on this USC Trojan football team and, of course, the Pac-12. We always love to take little shots at the Pac-12. Um, Dan, thanks so much for uh, coming on. By the way, uh, the Pac-12 is starting a series. I'll give them this. This is a good idea. And I, Where would they have heard this, uh, Ryan? They're doing a serious <laughs> radio satellite show with the, about the Pac-12. They haven't said... Who's going to do it? How they're going to do it? They're just saying that in next year they're going to come up with, uh, you know, uh, and, and they wouldn't even say, you know, as we've discussed, you know, discussed the Paul Feinbaum type show and all that. But of course they need one something like that. But it's taken them a while. They missed this football season when they could have done it. Uh, but uh, but they're actually going to do. Um, uh, without getting into real specifics at all. Uh, but they decided that might be a good idea. Yeah, it might be a good idea. Just do it. Who's been uh, saying that? Talking yeah. About it. Huh? <laughs> yeah, who's been saying that? Yeah, right. You, I'm saying, yeah. I've, you've been on it, And I, I communicated with them, sent them you know, what we've written about it, how we've talked about it, and they thanked me and all of that. But, uh, you know, I just would have jumped on it. You've got a network. I mean, you can put it on, like the SEC network puts Paul Feinwell on three hours a day. How hard is that? He comes into the studio, you turn on a camera. You know, it, it's not that difficult. They could have done it for this year. Uh, they, you know, they put 800 volleyball games on and, you know, water polo and all that kind of stuff. They, they, it couldn't have been easier. But, but next year they're going to do it. So we'll see. They haven't said, you know, who, who might do it, how they would do it, uh, just that they're going to do it. So, and they do have a serious, uh, 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 channel now, uh, or, or they're getting one. Yeah. And so, so that's sort of progress. We'll see if our buddy Ted Miller gets involved. Um, I haven't reached out to him yet. I told him, like, I tweeted out, like, man, we should get the po- the podcast of champions should be. Uh, they, you that's know. right. I would think I would put you guys on. I also, and and I don't care what our 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 guys on the P say. I'd give Bill Walton a couple hours a day. Yeah, he'd be funny. <laughs> I would. He's he's out there and he's fun. He's interesting, and he's got so much to talk about. It might be better sometimes to put him on just by himself and not in the context of a basketball game. Uh, but uh, but really, there are some things you could do. I think uh, in the Pac-12, if you only would do them. Yeah. And I'm saying that for USC also. I mean, the stuff we sometimes say about the Pac-12, you could kind of write in. Yeah, and USC too, because yeah. we haven't seen that kind of outside the box thinking and 
uh, innovation uh, and trying to lead lead the pack and, and break away maybe from the pack and do all the things that USC really should be doing. If you're USC with that history and where this school is now and in Los Angeles and in the media, you know, capital of the world in a lot of ways and in California with all the Silicon Valley stuff that's going on. If you don't take advantage of that, um, you can't just sit back, sit in your office and say, hey, we're doing great. No, you ought to do that. You need to be doing better. All right. Well, Dan Weber doing a great job as always. Thanks so much for uh, jumping on and answering all the questions. And again, I apologize for my, uh, my voice still a little under the weather, but we wanted to get you guys out this podcast. Uh, I'm going to have a an Ohio State preview one coming up as well, and we'll see if we can do a recruiting one. I don't know if I'll be able to do it, but I'll see if Gerard and maybe Keeley or something will put a recruiting podcast together for you guys. But um, thanks, Dan, again, and uh, everyone else. Thanks Thank so you. much. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.